0: Check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Dr. Jordan Van Heemert is a professor of saxophone and jazz studies. Of course, the way he teaches has changed dramatically over the course of the past year because he can't teach his students in person, and he also can't be a part of jazz concerts. In this episode, he describes the difficulty and hardship he has experienced as an Asian American while we are under a pandemic that originated in Asia. He also describes having time scheduled with a studio to record an album and feeling like he didn't know what to write the music about until one day he realized that perhaps the best thing that he could write about is his experiences during the pandemic as an Asian American.
1: When I first heard about the virus, I was living in Holland, Michigan, where I reside for work. It was it was very interesting. It seemed like it just kind of there was a lot of downplay at the beginning. And being in a place like West Michigan, you can kind of feel insulated from things, um, and it can almost feel like you're you're not as a, you're not affected as much, um, but the reality of the matter is that this was something that I had seen in the beginning on, on Global News and thought, I wonder when this is going to get here. I think it was an online, I think maybe the BBC's website. I, I think. I am not 100% sure though. I. I do remember, and and quite frankly, I, I'm not ab- above this. Um, it might have been a thing, an article um, from social media yeah. that then took me to like the BBC website or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, it was a. Uh, it was. I think um, it was. It was one of those news sites that is a little bit more objective, and a little bit more uh, global in its in its focus, more global than than national or. Or even local. I actually don't remember when that was specifically because it feels like all of this is just blurred together. Um, I I want to say it was around January or February. I can't remember like a specific numbered date. I just remember it being, you know, the middle of winter in Michigan, and people were talking about this this potential pandemic, an outbreak of a virus, and. I remember looking at, you know, national news outlets and thinking, okay, all right, well, nobody's really talking about this, or at least not talking about it like it's a relevant problem for the United States. Uh, And then as you got closer to March, when things really started peaking in the U.S., that was when I started to, to really hear about it. I think there are a lot of things that I have taken away from this in terms of the things we used to take for granted, the, the physical distancing, the, the masks, the constantly washing hands, um, not being able to do many of the things that make us feel whole, particularly for me as a, as a musician. I mean, I can't remember the last time I performed in what what would be considered a normal concert. These days, we're performing a lot without audiences. We're doing a lot of live stream things. But one of the I had a performance in October two, uh, 2019, and the entire stage was full of strings and winds and percussion, and uh, we were playing Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue with a wonderful pianist <laughs> with a wonderful pianist named Andrew Lee and I remember thinking wow this is really incredible to be a part of this especially as a saxophonist because we don't we don't really get the orchestral call very often but I was thinking about it and and I did not know that that was going to going to be one of my final large ensemble performances and and I was in New Orleans in January for another larger ensemble performance, but as far as February, March, I mean, things started to get canceled very, very quickly. So, um, you know, all of these things that we we really, I, I think the reality of the matter is that we talk a lot about aerosol transmission. And in reality, those things were around before, but we just never had them attached to the pandemic. And so it's incredible to think back and say, okay, how are we doing things? And I I see this on, you know, when I think, and when I do my faculty activity report, and I'm looking at what I've, I've done, and, and especially struck me at the end of last academic year in, um, in May. And all of a sudden, I was thinking about, look how in the, the course of a few months, collegiate education, higher ed, performing as a musician—all those things changed. Seemingly, in, like it felt like it changed overnight, but in reality, it was it was building, and like very gradually. <laughs> um, but it, it it's insane to think about. So, kind of, I guess those things. I, I feel like I still. Have a similar perspective now to what I did in the beginning of the pandemic. Just said it's something that we should take really seriously. It's something that, you know, when I think about COVID precautions, I am willing to do anything for the health and well being of my students and the health and well being of our audiences. So the reality of the matter is that, yes, they are a disturbance, they're an inconvenience. But at the end of the day, if it means that I can, hopefully, one day after the the vaccine is widely spread, if I, if that can happen, um, and I can play for some of those same people, if I can see my students, you know, perform and and be in the audience and and have like a packed house, I'm okay with that. Where I am in Michigan, we had a we had a, a very I thought well-handled response by governor gretchen whitmer she did a fantastic job despite drawing a lot of criticism uh, and she did not back down which is something that i really admire and took michigan from being pretty high in covid numbers yeah. in march to being uh only you know a few uh, i think she may have may have taken us from third to like 15th or something. Uh, anyway, she, she did a great job and I, I think we had this resurgence a little bit in November and December. And so now hospitals are, I mean, they just needed some time. So we've, we are coming out of another pause, but it's nowhere near as severe as it needed to be in March. So I think that's good. I think it shows that our elected officials did the, the right thing the first time around. And even though, yes, we do have to have to pause things um, and did, I think that the, the response has been about as effective as you can expect it to be with little to no federal assistance for state governments. So I, I think while it has, it certainly is showing a trend of decline, but I don't think that that is, I mean, I guess I'm always skeptical, right? Because it's like, yeah, we're showing a trend of decline, but in the big picture, if we decline for two weeks and then spike for two months, yeah,
0: I mean,
1: great. <laughs> a lot of good that's done. So I still think we're in a place where we really do need to be, you know, be cautious and be, uh, be very vigilant right. with those, those COVID precautions although it's not as bad as it was in, say, early December, about a month ago. Well, the pandemic, I always think of it in um, people are intersectional, right? I'm sure you talk about that a lot as an anthropologist. So we belong to lots of different groups. We identify in different ways. And so um, one of the ways that I identify is as a musician, as an educator. I guess those are kind of two different categories but so it has the pandemic has fundamentally changed how I do my job and based on the COVID precautions that we have had to take in our classrooms I have colleagues across the country who aren't who aren't able Mm -hmm. to be in session with their students they're doing um, virtual virtual learning I have um, colleagues in classrooms I, I During the 2019-2020 school year, I was an artist-in-residence and um, planned to do that with a local high school here. And, um, you know, schools can't really have visitors right now. And so I can't be a visitor, but that also means that I can't have visitors. So it's a less enriched um, experience for my students. Another way in which I've been affected as a musician is uh, obviously we don't, we're not having big concerts. I almost had another orchestra gig this December uh, that was going to be distanced that got canceled because of the pause. So large ensemble things are not really happening. So as musicians, what we need to do is be creative about how we can do things with fewer people and with distancing in place. So for example, in a a studio, uh, the recording studio and in a recording studio where you could formerly fit like oh, 20 to 30 people in a live room together, and you are now in a place where you can fit 10, 8, 6. So clearly, we, we've had to think on a smaller scale, a much, much smaller scale of uh, in terms of projects like that and performances as well. Lastly, the, the pandemic affects my day to day as an Asian American. And that is another one of my identifiers that has been really significantly affected by this pandemic, because all of the sudden, the, it, it seemed like the pandemic was really downplayed. And all of a sudden, when it swelled and hit its peak, people oh, were angry. That. They were looking for somebody. And, and really, I think that anger comes from fear a lot. But, but it manifested in anger and, and, uh, and hate. And so what, what ended up happening was all of a sudden, people were looking at us differently as we crossed the street. People were looking at us differently in our workplaces, in restaurants. You know, I, I was out once and I sneezed because I have hay fever, allergies, and somebody, you know, looked at like, it felt like everybody uh, in the grocery store looked up at me and was, I I mean, I was wearing a mask, but everybody looked, it felt like everybody looked up at me and all of a sudden it was this alarm. I saw this, you you know, when people wear masks, you can't see their, their, their mouths, but you can see their eyes and there was an alarmed look in people's eyes. And I I saw that a lot of times, you know, you notice people backing away from you and distancing themselves in line, again, at the grocery store or perhaps at the bank, even though you're standing on the little, um, the placemats that show you where to stand or the tape. Yeah, people start like distancing themselves there. My students who are, I'm the faculty advisor for the Asian Student Union at Hope, and my students and I have all had things yelled at us from, from vehicles, slurs, and and other things. I had a, a student who this affected, and you know he was minding his own business, and somebody yelled at him, called him a derogatory name. This is all; these are all things that I think they they really go to show you that when that people, I think when. They act in fear. People when they act in, out of, um, you know, this negative energy from a negative space. And again, I really do think it was fear because I mean, nobody knew what to do with this thing. And there were people who were in denial, calling it fake and a hoax. There were people who at the same time were those same people were the people lashing out in hatred, and I I know it's been a difficult time for everybody. I really do. I, I sympathize with that. I've seen. I've had close friends uh, lose jobs. People have lost family. I understand it's a difficult time, but it has it has absolutely been uh, been a trial being the scapegoat and the societal scapegoat. And I I really don't think that. I think our elected officials hold a lot of power there. And yeah. when you light a match and you know throw it on the ground, but then pour a bunch of gas on it and start fanning the flame, I mean, that doesn't help. So, so to me, I, I was primarily affected in, in those three ways. To be fair, it was actually a lot of our elected officials and okay. it, it wasn't just the president, although he he has kind of the okay. biggest platform. Um, me it, I mean, targets. I will acknowledge that it it was a lot of elected officials who were were, and and again, you know what? I think it's it's following an, an example. You know, when there's an when you have a society like the United States that is so hierarchical and so rooted in um these pre-existing structures that have existed for centuries and and when so when you have that and then somebody who's at the top of those structures says something uh i mean it it just (laughs) that is one way that things do trickle down so i i I really think i mean i don't want to i don't want to turn around and scapegoat the president but I also, I do want to acknowledge that in the, in, a, in a Western society, the masses are looking up. And that is a really, really significant uh, thing to me. So, um, yeah, I, I'm referring to that, right. I, the, the Kung Flu, Chinese virus. Um, let's yeah, see. I mean, uh, China Flu, example, um, you, you know... Mike Pence being at the, pres- the vice presidential debates and saying, like, oh, it is China's fault. Like and, you know, coming war. out and, and saying things like that. Yeah, that doesn't help. And so, yes, I, that is, is what I was kind of referring to. Technology, I think, has been a double-edged sword because it has been the way that, of course, even we're able to do this You know, we're able to connect like this. That's great. It's been a way that I've been able to keep in touch with my students, keep in touch with family. Frankly, I can't imagine if if this happened in a time where we didn't have this technology. Well, I guess it would probably force it to develop really rapidly. You know, necessity being the mother of invention. But at the same time. you know when you do have when you do have a situation where you need something and then don't have it it does create a sense of like urgency but also kind of panic so i think i think technology certainly played a significant role and in the educational sphere so the good things about technology especially in the educational sphere are yes we're we're able to keep classes going virtually students are getting a, I, will, I will not say an equivalent experience, but I will say that it is good. Virtual learning is, in my mind, by no means ideal because there's a certain element of screen fatigue that you can can get. But at the same time, there's a lot that we can provide for students via YouTube, via, I'm thinking about music educators specifically, via YouTube, uh, via all of the online learning platforms, there of which there are many. So that that's great. But at the same time, when you try to substitute tech for the nece- a necessary element of human interaction, I think that's when you kind of get into trouble. And and I'll say as a musician, there are things that we were able to do with technology, recording and layering different songs and, yeah. and a lot, yeah, layering all the parts together and having our students, you know, have this finished product that they could look at and say, actually, we did play some music this semester. We did, you know, we were able to combine like that. That's great. But I think, I, I think technology also, there were some really negative things that came along with it as well. I, I really think that social media As much as I am on it and use it to promote myself as a musician because you kind of need to I really do think that that aided the spread of misinformation I think I look at the difference between uh, Twitter back in the beginning of the pandemic versus Twitter now it is incredible these the lengths that have been taken by these platforms that anybody can access and anybody can use however they see fit and unfortunately what we we've seen is that there are people who for for whatever reason believe that they can grab a hold of a platform and have a captive audience but a captive audience that's going to believe anything and so then now that use it to sow not only to sow hate but also to sow um misinformation and so all of a sudden you had you had all of these lies being spread about oh well china created COVID 19 in a lab and it's it's a it was a biochemical weapon that that they create the chinese created to thwart our our democracy and it was an attack against you know america and and you're looking at and reading these things and saying well who is ever going to believe these things? Who is ever going to believe these outlandish statements? And then people do. And then people do. And, you know, you see you, you see friends, family, people you see in the community, students, colleagues, all of these people, you see them buying it, and it, it completely, well to me at least, it, I was really blown away by you know the the level of misinformation, but to me, those those seeds were planted much much earlier, and it just so happens that the that the pandemic was a, a and the the, tech, the way that we relied on technology in the pandemic was um, was an accelerant. But those seeds of 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 misinformation and and using you know the internet particularly for um less than noble causes let's say those things were i mean those seeds were planted three four six years ago but then again i will say lastly that now the good thing about social media is that for the first time i think in our our history as a as a country it really it really forced people the internet that is really forced people to pay attention to the, the racial injustices, the atrocities that, were com- that are committed against people of color, primarily black men and women. And that, the f- I mean, the fact, I, I was talking to a colleague about this uh, late this summer in August, and we were lamenting about the murder of George Floyd. I mean, that is, that is and we, but true. we said, what, what was different about so, Floyd? What was different about George Floyd that, if it wasn't any of these other, these other, you know, innocents that were murdered, if it wasn't any of these other people, what was different about, because this has been happening, if it wasn't Trayvon, you know, it, it, what made people, what was different? And we decided on two things. First of all, that George Floyd literally had the life choked out of him for nine minutes you can do a lot of things in nine minutes. And particularly what we were talking about at that time was that you can drive and and drive from, at that point we had used uh, Wyoming, uh, Michigan, Wyoming, Michigan um, to Hudsonville. And that's like a pretty substantial distance. So we, we decided that if, if you know people were watching this video and that's a long time, it is disturbing. It is incredibly disturbing to watch that unfold for for nine minutes. The other reason that we decided that this was different was all of a sudden everybody was at home, and you had this situation where the only thing you could do was watch it. That I mean, you weren't doing anything else, or or well, maybe people were working and trying to hold on to their their jobs, but there there was a lot of people who all they could do was watch this atrocious act unfold. And so we decided that for those two reasons, they really galvanized the Black Lives Matter movement. And Black Lives Matter had existed before, certainly. Many people, and I I will say, you know, many um, people in the dominant power group because it doesn't affect their day-to-day. Now they did. And when they did, I think a lot of people were shocked, horrified, absolutely disturbed. All of these things I, I think happened as a result of this this place that we're at in in human history. So I I go back and forth. I there are days when I think yes, technology is great. I love it. I fully embrace it. Like I love that I'm able to take a a blank piece of paper and then you know put notes from my uh, my mind onto a piece of paper and then put that piece of paper onto uh, music notation and, and print it out and you know share it with people. I love that, and I love that I'm able to keep in touch with people who are far away from me as well. But sometimes, <laughs> you know, hearing about atrocity after atrocity, it's exhausting. And hearing about the spread of misinformation information, deliberate spread of misinformation to take advantage of people. that's exhausting. But I, I always come back to the good things. I always come back to the things that, you know, we're we're at a certain point in human history, but this this will, it will pass, humanity will pre- prevail. I, I believe in that, I really do. Um, maybe it's naive, maybe it's too optimistic, but I, I really do believe that humanity will prevail for the, through this time. And the But I mean, we certainly won't forget it. So I think that when I had seen my basically my career as a performer evaporate before my own eyes i came to a kind of a moment of just pure exhaustion and pure like i've been struggling it was it was in may i had been fighting through the semester and doing the best i could with uh, with technology and and instructional technology and I had finished the semester and and so there was this, it went from being really active to this void. And this void that I would have filled with, you know, other things, making music with people and playing in large ensembles and, and other things like that. And I knew that I had a recording session booked. I knew I had something planned in July. And I was looking at from May to July in this space and I was looking at my calendar and yeah, thinking, I have no idea how I'm gonna do this because for two months, I had felt completely uninspired to write anything. And I had felt, like I said, I was watching my, my performing career kind of evaporate and, and really it wasn't evaporating so much as it was fundamentally changing. I was just wondering how I was going to get this this project done. I had tried to write things that day several times. But sometimes you sit down at the piano with the with your manuscript paper and, and it it just doesn't happen. As much as composition is a craft, if you don't have that initial spark of an idea, it makes it quite difficult. So I was staring it was almost like I, I had a moment of calm, again, kind of that eye of the hurricane feeling, like a moment of calm. And I was looking at, it, it, taking stock of of my career and my semester, my my place as an Asian American, and it, all, and I felt it. I really did feel it. I it, there was there's this deep sense of kind of loss because I thought about all of the things that could have been all the things I had planned for my spring semester, all the things I had to cancel, the programs that I had done. I had There were several guests that I was going to but bring had, that semester and later in the semester that had gotten canceled. There were
0: all of these things and
1: I, and I felt this deep, almost a grief, and and that grief Kind of paralyzed me. It was it was fairly immobilizing the the thing that I guess I take away from from that is that That was really the moment when I decided that Musically uh, because I almost canceled my recording session and musically that was when I decided to to make the record about what how the yes. pandemic had affected me, particularly how it affected me as an Asian American. I noticed that there was nobody really telling this story from an Asian perspective. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the times our voices as Asian Americans are, are silenced or ignored. I think that there, there are a lot of times in our history as a people, as a community, that have been silenced and ignored. People forget about the Chinese Exclusion Act, People forget about the Transcontinental Railroad, they forget about Japanese internment. They forget about the non-American side of the Korean War. Forget about a lot of these things, and so what I dedicated myself to doing was, I'm going to tell this story, this is going to be a time capsule. I was worried about it being like this perfect thing, and I was like, oh, I, I... this has to be really amazing and I, at the end of the day I am proud of the quality of the product that we put out we made some great music with with my colleagues and I and, and it was great but the the fact of the matter is I, I realized at that point you know music, this is not about yeah. my own ego it's not about my own my own gain it's not about whether or not people think I'm really good it's about telling stories it's about exploring what it means to be human. It's it, And in this particular case, it's about telling the story of how one person in my community experienced this pandemic. And I have no lofty goals of where this album would go or where it would find itself. I have no lofty goals about that at all, but it's there and I created the story and put it on the shelf, so to speak. And so I feel like I'm at peace with that.
0: Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.